You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Um, it, is, it is about, you know, at this time of year where it's tradition for a lot of families to gather around the TV and watch some Christmas movies, some, some holiday-themed movies, and of course, one of the classics is Home Alone, right? Um, it's a, if you don't know, it's a movie about an eight-year-old boy named Kevin who makes his whole family mad at him and then is uh, accidentally left home the next day when they all leave for vacation. And then he ends up having to face his fears in order to protect his home from, from a couple of burglars, which, which he does by setting up a bunch of traps, and uh, hilarity ensues, of course. Um, when I was a kid, the, the traps and all that stuff, that, that was the best part of the movie for me, obviously. Uh, but now, when, when I watch that movie as an adult, I, I've realized that, that when you look past all the, all the hijinks and, and all the silliness, of the movie, at its heart, is, is actually a theme about reconciliation. Um, it's about restoring and reuniting family. For example, Kevin himself realizes that being alone isn't all it's cracked up to be, and uh, he feels bad about what he did, and, and he longs to be with his family again, including his, his mom, who he was especially rude to. And then Kevin's parents, of course, they're, they're doing whatever it takes to, to get back to him or make sure he's safe. His mom is especially desperate, selling her jewelry for a, a plane ticket because that stuff means nothing compared to her relationship with her son. And then she rides in a truck with a polka band to get back to him, which is like the worst, right? Just extreme torture she had to endure to get back to her son. Um, though we really see this theme of reconciliation fully on display when, when Kevin walks into an Episcopalian church while a children's choir is rehearsing the song, Oh Holy Night. And as he sits down in the pew, old man Marley, his, his elderly neighbor, whom Kevin was afraid of, comes and sits next to him. And in the ensuing conversation, I have a picture of them sitting together there. In the ensuing conversation, we find out that like Kevin... Mr. Marley is also estranged from his family. And the reason that he was at the church in that moment was, was to watch his granddaughter's rehearsal, which he had to do because he wasn't welcome with his family at the actual service due to an argument he'd had with his son a few years before, and they hadn't talked since. So Kevin eventually encourages him, uh, in his eight-year-old wisdom, to, to call his son and, and to make amends despite the fact that, this, that old man Marley's afraid his son won't talk to him. And, and in the end, it seems like he must have taken Kevin's advice, because at the end of the movie, when Kevin is, is finally reunited with his own family, he looks out the window to see Mr. Marley on, on, his, on his front doorstep, reuniting with his son and his daughter-in-law and, the, and his granddaughter, who gives him a huge hug. They embrace. And I have a, a picture of that scene as well of Mr. Marley hugging his granddaughter, finally reunited together after so many years of being estranged. And, and when we look at that picture, I, I have to say, even at the risk of oversimplification, that that, that shot right there is, is, is a great picture of the story 
of Christmas, which is all about God the Father reconciling with his children. It's powerful. Restoring sinful humanity back to himself through Jesus Christ. And in fact, I don't think it was an accident that the song O Holy Night was playing in the background of that church scene. Listen to the lyrics of O Holy Night, just the first couple lines here. It says, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. It's all about Jesus coming into a world lost in sin in order to restore it and and reclaim it. Another popular Christmas song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, says it like this. It says, Hark. We never say that word anymore, but we should bring it back. Hark, the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. God and sinners reconciled. That's, that's the whole point of Christmas. Reconciliation. Jesus came, in, came to make a way for humanity to come back into relationship with God. And so over the last uh, two weeks, we've been answering the question, why Christmas? And, and we've discovered that Christmas is, is firstly about revelation, right? Which is about God revealing himself and, and his glory to us through Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And that it's also about, secondly, about repentance, which is God calling us to change, to turn from our worldly ways and, and from our idols in order to turn to Jesus and see Jesus. And this week, we, we come to the result of those two things, which is reconciliation, reconciliation. This is why we have Christmas. This is why Jesus was born into humanity, not only to show us who God is, but to make peace between us. Colossians 1, 19 to 22 speaks to this. For God, it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in, in Jesus, even as a baby, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. God sent Jesus to reconcile all things back to himself, both humanity and all creation. But this begs the question then, what what had created this, this enmity between us and God in the first place? Why were we estranged? Well, we have to go all the way back to Genesis, to creation, to figure that out. And, and, and in Genesis, we see how, how God created the world and all that's in it, and he made it good, and then he creates mankind in his image to, to enjoy and discover his creation as its caretakers. And, and I should note that when it says in his image, that doesn't, that doesn't just mean humanity looks like God. It means that they share in God's glory, that they dwell with God, that, that they're meant to be in relationship with God. And this is because God himself is, is a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
who exists in a state of self-giving love and life-giving relationship. And so his desire is always to, to share his love and to be in relationship, which is how he designed humanity, to be in relationship with him. However, this relationship was broken when, when Adam and Eve, of course, gave in to the temptation and, and trickery of the serpent and then subsequently sought the way of rebellion when they sinned against God by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the, not a tree of knowledge. It's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, by the way. There's this, I'm just pointing that out because people get confused. God gave humanity knowledge. He gave them the desire to, to, to discover and ask questions and explore the world and name the animals and all those things. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They sinned against God when they decided they wanted to become gods of their own morality. And the curse or the wages of their sin was death, as God told them it would be. But why death? Well, for the sole fact that since God is the source of life, to deny God is to deny life. It's pretty simple. From that point on, though, humanity's relationship with God became broken. Isaiah 59, 1-2 speaks to this when it says, Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save, and his ear is not too deaf to hear. But your iniquities are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Sin separates us from God, from seeing him, from knowing him, from being in relationship with him, from experiencing his love and his life. That's, that's the sad reality for all of us. Because of our sin, we've been estranged from God. Because of our sin, we're at enmity with God, which means we, we became his enemies. And of course, God's heart was broken over humanity's sin. And so immediately following that moment in the garden, even after informing Adam and Eve of the curse they just brought on themselves and on creation, God in his mercy and compassion still promised them that he would one day send someone to, to crush sin and evil for good so that their relationship could be restored once again. In, in fact, throughout the story of the, the whole Old Testament, over and over again, in, in many ways, and even in the midst of the greatest sin and, and rebellions, we see the same heart of a God who desires reconciliation and peace with his people as he continually pursues them and, and speaks that same promise to them in all of creation, saying, again and again, I will rescue them, and I will dwell with them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. Over and over again, like in Jeremiah 24, 7, when he says to them, that they're in Babylon at this point, but he says to them, I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. So he continually speaks this type of promise to his people and to all of creation over and over again. This is the heart of God. This is the, the love and mercy of God over us, even while we were sinners, even while we were enemies of God, which is amazing. Th think of it this way. If, if you've ever had a good friend do something nasty to you, 
right, and, and create a rift in your relationship. Like maybe they lied about you, or they betrayed you, or they slandered you, or they hurt you, or they abandoned you, or they hurt someone you love, or whatever, right? Or, or they chose different friends over you and just totally ditched you. If, if, if something like that has ever happened to you, that hurts, right? That is painful. And so you know how difficult it is to even forgive that person, much less actually reconcile that relationship and be best friends again. That's almost impossible. And yet, over and over again, even in the midst of all of humanity's worst sin, worst rebellion against God, even while there were enemies of his created order, God continually poured out his heart's desire by promising them that one day he'll dwell with them again. That one day they'll be his people and he will be their God. That one day he'll reconcile sinners and the broken world with himself. So again, over and over, God reveals that he still wants to dwell with us, to be in relationship with us. He's not out to get us. He's not out to destroy us. His desire is to rescue us from the destructive curse of sin which we've brought on ourselves. He wants to dwell with humanity in perfect peace, to be in communion with us. So he can be our God and we can be his people. That's how it's supposed to be. That's how, it's, how it was always meant to be. And, and in fact, again, over the period of the whole Old Testament, we also see ways in which God partially dwells with his people just because he, he wants to dwell with them so badly, right? And he, he does it through the Ark of the Covenant and, and through the tabernacle and then in the temple. And he even appoints sacrifices for his, his people to temporarily atone for their sin as well as a high priest to mediate the relationship with God and man once a year by entering the Holy of Holies in the temple. But those were only temporary solutions. God always knew that the only way to fully reconcile humanity with himself was to change our hearts. And to do that, he had to deal with the problem of sin once and for all. And the only one who could do that, who was sent to do that, was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus Christ, the Word of God become flesh. He came into creation in order to fulfill God's promise and desire to reconcile sinners to himself. And this reconciliation as we read, was ultimately completed by Jesus at the cross, by the shedding of his blood, when he became the perfect sacrifice for all sin, once and for all, taking humanity's punishment and defeating the power of death through his own death and resurrection. That's, that's why Jesus was born on Christmas. Of course, to, to that end, Christmas always points us to Easter and Easter always points us to Jesus' return when we'll experience the, the full reality of reconciliation that Jesus won for us. And Blair was speaking about that this morning. So that, that's our hope. That's our sure hope. Bottom line, though, is that the reason the angels were rejoicing at Jesus' birth because they knew, as Mary did, yes, Mary did know, stop singing that song. Anyways, they, they knew 
They knew that Jesus was born as a human to save humanity from their sin so that he could take our place, so that he could restore the life-giving covenant relationship between man and God that was always meant to be. Romans 5, 6 to 11 says it better than I do. It says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, For rarely will will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. So as Christians, we boast in God because by his love, Jesus came into creation to restore us to himself, to remove the the barrier that was separating us from knowing God, to save us from our sin, to set us free, to make us new, to change our hearts and and make us righteous and and holy in his sight, to to give us eternal life, to bring his kingdom to us, to, to fill us with his spirit so that we can be in a relationship with the Father, adopted as children and heirs in his kingdom. He came to bring reconciliation. He came so that he could dwell with us and so that we could eternally dwell with him. He came so that he could be our God and we could be his people. No longer at enmity with God, but in covenant with him. So again, this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why Christmas exists in the first place. Jesus was born in the flesh to reconcile the sinful world with God. And now all who believe in his name by faith are by his grace forgiven and set free from their sin and invited into that glorious relationship. Just like the story of the the prodigal son that Jesus tells. The, the grace that we experience through, through Jesus' finished work at the cross is like, is like the father running to meet his sinful son and all his filth and all his disobedience who without hesitation embraces him in a giant hug, removing his son's rags and putting on new ones. That is God's heart for sinners. That is God's love for sinners to restore us and embrace us with his loving arms once again. And Jesus made the way. Jesus invites us into that communion with the Father so that we can approach him with confidence and and speak to him and know him and be loved by him. This week I attended two funerals. One of them was for uh, Pastor Bob Butler, a former local pastor of the King of Kings Church. And one of them was for a wonderful man named Alan Williams, who was the dad of one of my childhood best friends, 
who's still one of my best friends. But Two funerals in one week is certainly heavy. But yet, at the same time, it wasn't. Because the primary testimony that was repeated over and over again about both of these men throughout their funerals was, was twofold. First and foremost, it was that they knew Jesus as Lord and Savior. And because of that, we could all rejoice in knowing with confidence that they're not dead that they are alive, that they're both right now eternally resting in the loving and peaceful embrace of God Almighty. I've been, I've been and, and I've officiated funerals for non-Christians, and let me tell you, that is a depressing time. This was not depressing at all. Yeah, we miss them and we're sad, but this was not depressing. Right now, we rejoiced in the fact that they're both experiencing the fullness of the reality of reconciliation that Jesus won for them at the cross. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. That was the first part of the, the testimony about them. Secondly, though, another thing that was constantly mentioned about these faithful men was their passionate desire throughout their lives to share the good news of Jesus' saving grace, the gospel with everyone and anyone who would listen. Not only by speaking it, which they did all the time, and by sharing it with others, but also by living it out in their, in their consistent and joyful worship of God, in their humility and, and in their integrity, in, in their genuine and loving and serving relationships with others. Ultimately, what so many people shared about them about these two men, was, was that since they knew how incredible and how amazing it was to be reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, they passionately desired to see others experience that same wonderful relationship with God as well. It, it was so inspiring to hear that. Ultimately, they reflected the life that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, when he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this passage not only reminds us that why Jesus came into the world on that first Christmas morning to, to reconcile us to God, but it also reminds us that we've been entrusted as those who are now reconciled with the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus came into our mess to redeem us, 
And now we are called on his behalf to enter into the messes of other sinners and speak the gospel to them to beseech them, to implore them, to appeal to them, to encourage them, to repent and surrender their lives to Jesus. Not, not, not to convert them or whatever, but so that they can also be forgiven of their sin and reconciled to God. Because their lives matter and God cares about them. Because that's God's heart. This is our mission. This is our mission. Yes, we're each meant to rest in, in, and enjoy our, our own eternal peace and our own et- relationship with God through Jesus Christ, absolutely. But in knowing him, how could we not also want to share the good news of his loving grace with others? How, how could we not want to do that? How could, how could we see the plight of other sinners where we once were as, as enemies of God, wandering in the darkness, following the course of this world? How could we see that in others' lives and not be compelled to implore them to know what we know, to see what we see, to experience what we have experienced? As Christians, God has has chosen us and filled us with his spirit to be ambassadors, to do just that, to proclaim his message, his good news to the world. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Of course, the primary way we're meant to do that is by sharing and speaking the gospel to those who need to hear it. But we're also meant to represent the reality of reconciliation by modeling it in our own relationships with one another as well. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 22, 24, He said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. We're still under the curse. That's what he's saying. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus commands a lot of things, but that is one of the hardest, if we're honest, right? But God doesn't want us to just be reconciled with him. He also wants us to be reconciled and at peace with each other. His grace not only redeems us, but it gives us the capacity to have grace for others, to forgive others. His victory at the cross not only tore down the the barriers and the veil that existed between God and us, but it also calls us to remove the walls of bitterness and anger and jealousy and hate that we've been holding on to against our family members or our friends or our coworkers or our neighbors or our enemies or other members of the body of Christ. Jesus gives us peace and and restores our relationship with God, but he also gives us peace with one another. And there's really no way that we can claim to have the peace and love of God in us if we are unable to extend that love and peace to others. That's basically just a summary of 1 John. 
Reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ should translate into us reconciling and making peace with one another. So if you don't have that, if there are people in your life whom you're estranged with or, or holding bitterness against, Christmas is, is really the perfect time to repent, to forgive, and to reconcile because that's what Christmas is all about. So in conclusion then, when we ask, why Christmas? Again, the answer is simply yet powerfully this. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus came to restore us with God, to bring us into eternal communion with him and with each other. And this is why Jesus instructs us to receive communion, right? Because it not only symbolizes, but actually invites us into acknowledging and resting in the peace and presence of God together as the body of Christ, remembering and receiving the reconciliation which Jesus won for us by his broken human body and his blood, which was shed for us at the cross. And, and, we're going to be receiving communion together in a moment for the last time this year. But before we do that, I want to give you all a couple of moments to respond on your own this morning, to take some time to ask the Lord to search your heart. And also, as Jesus instructed, to repent of any bitterness or, or hatred or, or jealousy you may be holding on onto against someone else. Ask, ask the Lord to give you the strength and capacity to forgive them as Jesus has forgiven you. And if needed, go and seek reconciliation with them before you come to the table of the Lord. Send a text, make a phone call, or, or at least commit to doing that this afternoon. Whatever you need to do. Lay those things at the cross. Rejoice in the reconciliation that you've been given through Jesus and extend that to others by his strength. So for, for the next couple of minutes, let's just take some time to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and, and to respond to his saving grace. And then after that, I'll invite you to come up and receive communion. Let's do it.